Hello, everyone. It's been a while. Uh, sorry. I have a few episodes that I recorded um, since September, and I just haven't published them. So here we go. I have, This episode is with Daniel Ortner, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to another episode. I have a guest I've been meaning to have on since I started the podcast. And and then I saw you on uh, uh, Stephen Pinecker's channel, um, oh. Mormon Book Reviews. And then, um, anyways, so when I, when I initially wanted to interview you, you were a practicing Latter-day Saint. And now right, you've yeah. converted to like a Protestant Christianity. So that's, right. that's um, I guess I'm too late. I could have had both, but <laughs> I could have had the, the, the before and after. <laughs> I know. But I, I remember you shared an interview that you did on an atheist channel. And so I'll put that in the, the notes. Um, and you did talk, you were, you were, a practicing Latter-day Saint at that point. Yeah, and then right. you talk about how you grew up and stuff. So I'll post, I'll post that interview. And then I'll also post um, the Mormon book review interview. And honestly, I just re went and re-listened to that one. I had some uh, questions in my outline and I realized that you already talked about it with Steven. So I was like, I'm not going to do the same thing. <laughs> so <laughs> well, happy to, happy to talk about anything, anything you want. I also was yeah. on uh, um, Lynn, Lynn Wilder's podcast talking about in more detail about my story. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well. So I, I did her, I was on her podcast earlier this year as well. Oh, I'll, I'll find that and link that too then. Um, I didn't realize that. So we'll get, I was going to ask about Lynn Wilder later on. Um, uh, I guess before I get too far, a lot sure. of the listeners probably don't know who you are. So if you want to explain kind of your journey and then, um, sure. yeah, if you want to summarize it, I'll let you do it. Cause I'm sure yeah. you're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, I don't, I mean, I'm not anyone special, but I'm a, a believer in Christ. I, I, uh, joined the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints when I was an undergrad. I was a came from a Jewish background. I was an atheist for a couple of years. Uh, before I joined, uh, growing up Jewish and then became an atheist during college uh, for a couple of years. I joined the LDS church in in uh, in undergrad in 2010, or 20, uh, 2009, I was baptized, sorry. I served a mission from 2010 to 2012 in Russia. Um, I went to BYU for law school, I'm an attorney. I do First Amendment litigation. Um, I uh, really enjoy that a lot. I have three daughters, I uh, live in Northern California near Sacramento. Uh, and uh, earlier this year, made the decision to leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, to follow Jesus and, and uh, become an evangelical Christian. I came to the conclusion that the church's you know, truth claims were not, not true and that uh, they were kind of taking away from worship of Jesus, that the Bible teaches, uh, the focus on grace, the focus on just worshiping Jesus uh, and having him be our savior and not adding to that. And I um, submit, made the decision to leave the church and I've been really, really blessed by that decision uh, in over the past year. Okay. And again, um, Stephen did a great job asking you a lot of questions about like, what was it that um, changed your mind? And you go into a lot more detail and, so if anybody's interested, they can go, um, yeah. they can go back into there. I, 
I almost want to share a video. Um, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too, uh, I hope this isn't um, disrespectful, but uh, I don't, I have, um, there's a, a guy that has a YouTube channel, Pine Creek, and he, he developed the Pine Creek theorem. And the Pine <laughs> Creek theorem is that women have converted more men than the Holy Spirit could ever do. <laughs> so I don't know, like, what are your thoughts on that? Because from what I understand, it was your current wife that introduced you to uh, latter, like Mormonism. And then it was no, your, no, oh no, no, no that was no. a different friend. Someone I, someone I was dated in college or oh, okay. introduced me back in an undergrad. So no, my, okay. my wife, we, we met after I was already, my, my only, only wife, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, met after I was, uh, right after I got baptized. Okay, so it was a woman that introduced you yeah, to right. the LDS church, but it was a different woman that you actually married. Okay, I was misunderstanding that. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, I probably wasn't very clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, is there any, um, do you think that if your wife hadn't gone through her um, transition of faith, like that you would have also just been still satisfied in the Latter-day Saint faith? Or um, do you feel like, you were on that path with her. Like, how did that, how did that yeah, come about I, for her? I, I guess. I think it really, I mean, what happened for me was it led me to like really seriously examine things that I'd kind of taken for granted for a long time. Um, it really, I mean, I, I joined the church when I was an undergrad. I, I looked at a lot of the, all the kind of anti-Mormon arguments, you know, the, the critical of the church arguments I'd, you know, read, you know, whatever I could find at the time, but I, I kind of, you know, I'd already kind of had a spiritual experience. I felt very strongly about the church. And so I was looking at it from the lens very much of trying to prove it was true. Um, and I hadn't, you know, I kind of just hadn't looked at it as critically and about certain aspects of, of the church. And then I also was, you know, at the time when I, my wife was, uh, questioning her faith and was, you know, left leaving, I just really carefully looked at certain things that I hadn't really looked at as carefully before. Mm -hmm. Um, some of them being Joseph Smith's polygamy, uh, the de specific details of some of the, um, practices that he did some of the coercion in particular i think i'd kind of glossed over that you know i, I saw polygamy as kind of strange uh, 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 but i trusted the kind of faith of the people that felt that, that practiced it and i uh didn't really de delve into the details of the extent that i had i afterwards did um things like adam god um doctrine you know, seeing inconsistencies in, in the church's teachings about really core christian doctrines I you know, saw that as, you know, Brigham Young made a mistake and it's not a big deal and now the church is correct. I really just j jumped in, you know, delved into that, really looked at it critically and kind of asked myself, what does it say about the truth claims of the church? Mm -hmm. What does it say about um, whether this church is really led by prophets, whether these doctrines that you know, depart from what Christians have believed for thousands of years, can I trust these men who are teaching these things? Are they trustworthy? Have they reliably said you know god's god's will and so really like looking at it from the perspective of my, my wife kind of leaving the church and struggling with her faith made me examine those things really critically mm -hmm. so I, I don't think it would have happened the same way at all if, if she hadn't but I, I think it was not because of her leaving it was that was kind of the trigger for me to really look look more intensely and i was you know, studying um with the intention of proving that it was true for her mm -hmm. you know, trying to convince her to, to to come back i was trying to really show her that the church's doctrines are really 
the same as Christian and in terms of like grace is really focused on and it's all about Jesus. And I, what I discovered was kind of the opposite when I really studied it really carefully. And so it was, it was this kind of process of really trying to, trying to prove it true that led me to question and re-examine my faith. Interesting. So when, I guess going into more detail, like as you were learning about did you did you use supplemental material like did you have influences that was helping you uh find your way toward this protestant belief that you have or you were reading the bible came to think yes this is what the bible is saying and so then uh, i guess i'm trying to understand where because so i've i've let me (laughs) i've considered um possible routes um possible routes to go to other religions in fact i took seriously like judaism for a little while and then um i went through like a catholic phase i can't say that one's over like i'd like to go actually participate in all of these uh, orthodox um christianity stuff like that i think Uh i'm very interested in it yeah i just haven't taken the time to like go and worship to a service or anything um but I guess what was kind of your influence um, as you were reading? Like, was it just you in the Bible or did you have a different, I don't know, were there any influencers on YouTube? Like, like, yeah. What was driving? Yeah, I mean, I had a lot friends, of um, Christian friends that anyway, go. Yeah. No, no, no Sorry to, if, sorry for interrupting the question. Uh, uh, very I, long I, question. No, you're, you're good. <laughs> Great question. Um, Not very a, clear. <laughs> no, it was good. I had, I mean, I, I you know, so, so my wife uh, started going to a, pro- a local Protestant church, and so I began uh, going uh, with her, you know, every week going to both churches, and so I was listening to sermons there. But really, like, it was actually reinforcing my belief at first, like my LDS beliefs. Um, I was also I had a I have a good friend who left the church um, a year and a half ago or two two years ago, possibly now. I don't, I, yeah, about two years ago, and we were having a lot of conversations about her Protestant evangelical beliefs. Um, I had good LDS friends that I was having a lot of conversations with. I was trying to be really open and talk to a lot of a lot of people, a lot of friends about mm-hmm. that I was studying and wrestling with, both on kind of both Protestant friends and and LDS friends. Um, I mean, I read you know I, I read both pro church and anti kind of material uh, pretty pretty widely. I think that you know I was reading some evangelical material, like uh, reading some things about like the Wilder, you know, then Wilder and her son Micah, his his book about uh, leaving the church as a missionary. I actually. My friend gifted that to me when I you know, year, two years ago before, you know, when I was still very active and I read it and I kind of reread that more recently, you know, when I, when I was in the kind of process of deciding what, what to do with my faith and then um, trying to really be prayerful. I was you know, still at the time going to the temple every, every week. Uh, I was uh, going to LDS church every week. I was going to a Protestant church. Really what I, what really moved me, I think was something just in me being drawn to some of the things that that protestant uh, kind of you know orthodox christianity teaches i think specifically grace like the doctrine of grace was always something that resonated with me as a latter-day saint and i kind of came to realize over time that what i'd already believed was really more consistent with protestant views to, to a large extent i really believed in uh justification that you know or imputed the righteousness of christ um, I, that you know, his righteousness is given to us when we're converted. That was kind of a core, do- core belief of mine from when I first joined the church. Um, some some people like Stephen Robinson had had taught that and you know, believe in Christ, for instance. And so that was something that I grabbed onto when I first joined the LDS church and was some part of my doctorate. My 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 core beliefs in, in the atonement 
And I kind of realized that that's not really central to the LDS understanding of, of the atonement, for instance. Um, I began to like just feel that also this just this hunger as I went to to, Prot to Protestant worship services for really just worshiping God, like really just being in awe at His greatness and His goodness and His power and all that He's done, and kind of the, the um, more narrow view of God in the LDS doctrine that He's an exalted version of of myself, you know, that He's kind of the perfect version of me. Um, that was limiting my my awe. I, I realized for God, my desire to worship Him, and so the kind of the Protestant you know, Orthodox Christian view, I'd say, of God as the, the sovereign creator of the universe, the one who made me, who sustains me, you know, I don't exist without him. Um, that, that just makes me, made me filled with so much more awe and reverence and, and desire to worship God. And I felt this, this kind of hunger in my soul for that kind of worship of God. Um, so just really something that really just resonated with, with something that I, I didn't know how much I, I needed or wanted that, how much I was kind of lacking that. Um, does that worship, that awe, that just yeah, overwhelming feeling of gratitude for God mm -hmm. uh, was just missing in my life. And I, I really just felt kind of that feeling that, that hunger for that in my life. Okay. And, and then as you were going through this, I mean, did you look into other types of Christianity um, or were you just kind of narrowing in on the church that your wife was going to? Um, like, I guess I'm wondering, how did you find your church and how did you like decide, oh, not, not Catholicism or, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think like the, branch. the, I mean, the, for the, for me, the key doctrine that really drew me was the belief in salvation by grace through faith alone, like that, that kind of core Protestant doctrine, you know, justification. I think Martin Luther correctly said that's, so that's the, the um, fundamental doctrine on which the gospel rises and falls. Uh, you know, the, the, the core truth is we are saved by grace through faith, not of our own works. Um, nothing we can do, our worthiness, our service, that doesn't save us. You know, it, it's a gift from God that doesn't come from our efforts, from uh, ordinances, from additional covenants, you know, temple work. That, that doesn't contribute to our salvation. Um, and that's kind of the, the, at the center of, of my belief um, in the gospel. And so that, you know, for me, that, that kind of limit, you know, limits to Protestantism. Uh, I think because of that, that's the, the central foundation of the rest of the Protestant Reformation is that, that belief in uh, sola fide and like, belief, you know, salvation through faith alone. Okay. And so, you know, I, that, that's was, and I, you know, between different Protestant denominations, I'm still very you know, open to, to, we go to services at a couple of different churches around um, we've, gone to you know six or seven different churches in our area uh always like interested in trying other services seeing different styles i think the, the fundamental differences between protestant churches are a lot smaller than a latter-day saints think i used to think you know, there's these big divides between different protestant denominations but in our area there's a lot of overlap people go to different churches people are very friendly with each other they will preach at each other's churches they'll cooperate with each other on service activities missionary work it, it, there's really a lot of a lot of collaboration between um baptist presbyterian um lutheran methodist really all, all of the kind of churches that are in this area col collaborate and cooperate with each other pretty very well actually okay um so yeah, that, that's always been interesting to me. Um, the way you're saying it, I think I'm learning more about what Protestants believe. But I mean, there's a, probably a good chunk of people that claim to be Christian that you wouldn't consider Christian, or at least not consider believing correct form of Christianity. Um, like, like, where would you put those numbers? Like you have, you know, X amount of people that say, yes, I'm Christian. They believe in Christ. 
Mm-hmm. And, and they, they do, they are Christian and then that they believe in Christ, but um, you're, you're saying there's, you know, several different churches that you could go to and it would all be okay. I'm yeah, assuming right. you don't put an LDS chapel in that same boat or do no, you like, I, do you I, think I, that you can be, um, uh, or, or do you believe that like a, um, a Latter-day State Latter-day Saint baptism is just as good as any other baptism. Like, yeah, like some churches don't even care if you get baptized. And then some say you do have to get baptized, but that's not like, that doesn't matter. I don't know. It's all confusing. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. I, I think I, I've come to understand it more just over the past year than I did before, like the, the differences and understanding. I mean, I would say, you know, I would not consider the LDS church, the, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints to be a Christian church. I would say it's not Christian. There's core doctrines that separate it from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the, the two really two big areas, uh, one would be the nature of God, um, the understand, you know, the Trinity, I think is really central to Orthodox Christian beliefs. And I, but really just what matters, I think the most important part of that to, to me at least is God existing from all eternity um, and there being a gap between us and God that we can never become God. Mm-hmm. There's something different about us as created versus creator, that, that gap, that difference that, that doesn't get bridged. Yeah. Um, even though we we become like him, we, we inherit, we have his uh, characteristics, you know, we're image bearers of God. There's things about us that reflect God, but there's some aspects of God that we, we don't share um, that are as, as created rather than uncreated beings. I think that's one of the key differences. So the King Follett sermon of Joseph Smith really, I think, put the LDS church out doctrinally outside of Christianity, that idea that God you know, became God, that we can become God, the, the Lorenzo Snow couplet. Um, that that teaching, I think, really puts the church outside of the umbrella of Christianity in, in a meaningful way. And the second would be um, salvation by by faith, and not having all these works and ordinances that are um, in the way of uh, salvation by faith alone. I think those are the two kind of big big doctrines. But but I think that there are individual Latter Day Saints who are are saved, who have saving faith in Christ, despite what the church teaches. I, I've known a lot of people that reject. Um, the King Fall, that kind of idea that we, God was once a man, especially that part of it, of the couplet, but even, but also that, you know, we can really ever fully be God. Um, and I've known a lot of people that have faith, trust in Jesus, and I really do believe that their works aren't what saved them at all, that they're not really trying to, you know, to prove their worthiness to God, but they're, you know, I think works are a reflection of gratitude, a reflection of what, you know, the fruit of being saved when we're filled with gratitude and born again. Uh, through faith in Christ, uh, we show that through fruit, through the works that are the fruits of that. It's it's not the the root is not works. The, that's the fruit that comes from salvation. Yeah, I don't get too <laughs> worried. It seems to be like a language thing. It's not like Mormons will say, yes, I am Christian. Yes, I believe in the Trinity. They, of course, wouldn't say that. And so it's just a, a matter of definition, usually when that argument <laughs> Comes. Yeah, I, I think but, the argument is often not not very interesting. Like the no. uh, is a Christian or not, like it, it, the way it's framed is often not helpful. I think the the, right. I mean, the question is, does someone have a saving relationship with Christ? Yeah. If someone has is saved by from by Christ, they're they are a Christian. But that that's the definition. I think it's it's about your state before God. It's not about what church you go to. It's not if you're a Latter Day Saint or uh, a Protestant or or Catholic. Like there are going to be people that are that are, that do or don't have that saving relationship within every church or every group that, that, you know, but, but I think that there's, 
core doctrinal differences that separate the church, the institution of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, from the rest of Christianity that that uh, take it outside of the the doctrine and the um, orthodox orthodoxy of Christianity. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're not super, you're not universalist, like in the, like yeah. any, any, anybody is fine. There are certain things that you believe that God wants us to believe, or there are, that God would lead us to believe. I don't know how you would word it, but. Okay, so let, me, let me say something quickly to that, that point, I guess, about universalism. I mean, it really, I think what Jesus taught is he is the way, the truth, and the life. Like they're the only way to God is through Jesus. And ultimately there's really, you know, I think Paul teaches this in Romans, in the letter to the Romans, there's two options in the last day when we stand before god we're either standing under christ or not we either mm-hmm. have taken his name on ourselves we're a new creation through christ and if we are we have his righteousness it, you know god's going to look at us and what he's going to see is not i am imper- you know my my imperfections all the times i fall short all of the errors all the things i do wrong he's going to see christ's perfect sinless righteousness imputed to me and i'm going to be able to go to heaven and be with god forever and on the other hand if, if i'm relying on my own works my own ability if i'm not under christ if i haven't accepted him fully as my my savior and my redeemer i'm going to be judged based on what i've done and that's not going to uh not going to be uh able to get me into heaven where i need perfect righteousness and so it's really either i'm under my own works um or i'm under christ and mm-hmm. those are the two options there, there's no other option really before when we stand before god the works are you know we're not going to earn our way into heaven no matter how good we are the best person who's lived can't make it to heaven on their own their own merits it's about have they accepted christ have they sought salvation from god and you know, recognize their their sin their their fallen nature their, their need for salvation um and have they called on jesus to save them mm-hmm. that, that's what matters ultimately not you know what church you're a part of not what good deeds you do what matters is are you in christ or not hmm. um so there's a third option, right? There's the, uh, the, that maybe we're viewing both of those in the wrong way, that God's neither of those things. (laughs) So I, I find it interesting. I I feel like you are really hard to put in a box because clearly you are open enough to change your beliefs, but it's fascinating to me that like, uh, when you've been a Latter-day Saint, you were a traditional Latter-day Saint. Like you were like, uh, you weren't what they call nuanced, right? Like <laughs> you were pretty traditional. Um, uh, you said you were a part of that group, Radical Orthodoxy or something like that, yeah. right? And I started and- out more nuanced when I joined the church. When I was uh-huh. baptized LDS, I was, you know, kind of, I was going to, I went to Sunstone, like when the first year I was baptized, I was involved with um, Terrell Givens. He does the um, Mormon Scholars program at BYU I did that and that's kind of more nuanced a lot of more nuanced people go through that program not not exclusively but I was I was a little more much more nuanced when I first joined the church Mm -hmm. and I I moved towards more orthodox views uh, after my mission especially okay so yeah how do you how do you explain those different views like do you um yeah I I I just I'm fascinated by that like it's it's interesting because you think that I would think that someone that is willing to update their beliefs, like in drastic ways, like switching yeah. religions, um, I would expect you to be more nu- nuanced, I guess. But it's it's fascinating that you seem to hold a pretty traditional Protestant, like yeah. evangelical view of uh, Christianity, even. I ultimately, like when I joined the LDS church, I did it because I believe the truth claims were true. I, you know, I believe mm. Joseph Smith was a prophet, that he saw God, that he was speaking for God, the things that he was teaching were from, were from God, that the current leadership 
were in, you know prophets and apostles, mm-hmm. like really speaking for God. And you know what they said was binding. And if if that's not true, I don't want to be a part of that. Like that, you know, really staying a nuanced Latter Day Saint wasn't a really an option for me because you know if, if it's not true, if they're not actually prophets, and Joseph was not actually a you know, prophet, he didn't see God, he wasn't called. The Book of Mormon's not not inspired. You know all of that. If that's not true, I don't I don't see a reason to, to stay a part of it. And I think you know, for me, it's following what God wants, um, mm-hmm. being aligned with Him, whatever that is. I, I want to seek that and and stay aligned with God with all my heart. That that that's been always my my desire. My desire. It's why I joined the LDS Church. That's why I left the church. Is I I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to follow Jesus, uh, mm-hmm. serve Him, um, and that that's kind of how I live live my life. Is you know trying to align myself with, with his teachings. Yeah. Like, what would you say um, was the, I don't know if your busy, biggest hesitation leaving the Latter-day Saint, like, I, I'm sure, I'm sure there's like, as, cause you were very active with inner engaging with people that had left the LDS church when you were still LDS. Yeah. And I guess at that point, what were the like strongest points of like, that helped you feel confident that the Latter-day Saint, uh, belief was true while you were like, like, for example, one is the Book of Mormon. How did we get the Book of Mormon if, yeah. if, you know, if Joseph Smith isn't a prophet, he's either a fraud or a prophet, you know, like that, those kinds yeah. of lines of thinking. Were you, was that one that you felt strongly about or were there others that? I, I think the, the biggest, uh, I, I'll, let me, I'll get that one back to that one. Once I said so the, the biggest things for me. Uh, that kind of kept me really strongly believing in the church was my personal spiritual experiences. And then my, like the, the, the kind of temple, the idea of eternal families um, was really central. And then I really, it was my experiences though. It was very experience driven. I'd say mm-hmm. that, that. And then the biggest fear I had uh, when leaving was, I guess two, you know, twofold one, I'd seen a lot of people go to atheism and stop believing in God altogether or become very, jaded about god i i was an atheist for a couple of years i don't want to go back to that uh, stay, uh, you know i mean I, I know a lot of great atheists this isn't attacking atheists at all i there are moral good you know people that are trying to live their best life that are atheists it's not a attack it's i i know this that the, you know, i i've had experiences with god that i i won't deny um and i i've known him, come to know him and i believe in him with all my heart and i wanted to you know, i was afraid that if i left i would would lose my faith in god Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one fear, um, and the other was the um, Holy Ghost. Uh, I, I really valued the gift of the Holy Ghost, uh, the presence of the Holy Ghost, and I was kind of constantly you know, in the LDS Church. Told you know, if you you're not in the church, you you can't have the, whole, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so I was very afraid of that. And so, really, one one thing that really surprised me was how much more I've felt the Holy Ghost uh, in my life since leaving. Mm-hmm. It's been a um, different more powerful in some ways presence it kind of more internal than external mm-hmm. uh, like uh, you know the way protestants talk uh, christians or really all, all christians i guess talk about the other than latter-day saints about the holy ghost is this concept of indwelling the holy ghost is actually inside of us um that are you know, dwelling in us mm-hmm. um and the earliest way of talking about it is similar but it's you know, more of an external uh, co- companion but not internal because they, there's a quote from i think the uh, Conkey, that's that's in a lot of the manuals about how the Holy Ghost has a body, you know, has a has a spirit body, and so it can't be in multiple places, and so it can't literally dwell within us. 
um, mm-hmm. kind of negating that idea that there's like, the literal presence of the Holy Ghost in us. So the kind of different understanding of the Holy Ghost um, and one that's more robust, like it doesn't, I don't feel the Holy Ghost, you know, the, the LDS way of thinking of it is the Holy Ghost. If you're, you're sinning, if you're, um, you know, go to, or even if you're not sinning, if you go to a loud, you know, place with loud, loud music, or you watch a, an already a movie with profanity and, and violence in it, the Holy Ghost kind of flees away. Like there's like an absence of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. And that, that's not what I've felt it, uh, the kind of way that, Christians other than Latter-day Saints view it is is much more of a it is there the Holy Ghost is within you constantly doesn't flee doesn't depart uh when you uh, make a mistake doesn't depart when you're in a you know it, it, watching a, a movie with profanity or, or violence etc so it more robust and less um sensitive in that regard to the kind of fleeting um change you know variants of, of, of day-to-day life mm-hmm. um uh- sorry <laughs> Well, I was, I was just going to ask, like, you, you seem to be like, when I was listening to the interview with Stephen, you were very positive while talking about your experience in, uh, as practicing as a Latter-day Saint. So I thought it was interesting that you talked to, uh, I can't remember her first name, but Wilder, Lynn Wilder, Lynn, yeah. Lynn Wilder. And, um, she seems to have a little bit more of a, I would say antagonistic mm-hmm. view toward the church. Um, so I was just curious if, I don't know, like, do you feel like God led you to where you are now through Mormonism and you're okay with that? Or do you feel like it was a mistake to join Mormonism? Or, I mean, ultimately you are where you are and you're happy where you are. And I understand that, but I guess like kind of what you're, um, yeah. Do you feel antagonistic toward the church or um, are you happy? Like, do you think the church has a net positive uh, net negative. She seems to seem to think that the church yeah. causes net negative. I would say if I were to, yeah, I think that's maybe I'm part. wrong. Um, but yeah, but you seem to not believe that. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, yeah. What are I, I mean, it's something I'm still working through and figuring out. You know, all my, all my feelings about the church are kind of complicated and you know, growing. I think over over time, you know, as I kind of process and then have different, you know, look back at experiences. I think though, for like fundamentally, I see that God used the. The, the church is a, a place for me to to grow and and to eventually call me to him and bring me to where I am now. And so I, I do see, I had a lot of positive experiences in the church. I, I really got a lot of good things out of the church when I was in the church. I think I, I was able to teach, you know, teach and, and be part of the church and serve and, and do a lot of amazing things in the church. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I, I don't want to forget that. I don't want to lose sight of the good experiences I had in the church. I think it's it's really important to me to not to not do that, and so it's it's hard. I think it's it's mm-hmm. nuanced in that I feel like there are a lot of good experiences. I also feel now like there's you know very large doctrines that are are not true um, in the the church, and so there you know, it's it's a there's nuance, it's complicated. But I, I want to really always strive to you know keep a positive view towards the people that I, I served with the, you know, especially my local people in our ward here that where we live and, and other really wards I've lived in and been in since I joined the church, uh, had good, ex- great experiences, great bishops, great leaders that, um, helped our family in many ways that were good mentors, good friends. Like I, I have a lot of really positive things to say about the members of the church in particular. Um, yeah. people are genuine, striving to serve God, to live their faith. And I, I you know, have a lot of admiration and love for the people that I've lived, worked with, served with, worshiped with. I have a lot of really 
great positive feelings towards them. Right. Yeah. I like how you mentioned that it doesn't, it almost seems like the easier thing is to just um, uh, throw in a box to say it's all bad, all good. Right. And yeah. it, uh, I think I like that. It seems, it sounds like you're trying, you have to make an effort to have that positive view. And I guess I, I appreciate that. Cause I, I feel like, I feel similar. Like there are things that I like my knee jerk is like, <laughs> like, I'll be honest. It's really easy to view Mormonism as a cult. It's not mm-hmm. hard to do. <laughs> and that's the easier thing to do. But I think yeah. um, there's like a more realistic way to look at it where I see different levels of all the ways we live and how everything can be a little bit culty. And so it's just not helpful to like, just put it in a, box like that so easily yeah um but i i that did the when you were talking it made me wonder like are there things that you miss about how the either latter-day saints organize themselves or just uh, anything you miss about participating in that you know in that faith group uh, yeah things you miss that yeah anyway I mean, I, I really, I, you know, I had a calling before I left that I really loved. I was the, the ward Sunday school president for my ward. And that was like a great calling for me because I loved uh, helping with the teaching. And I got to step in and teach most a lot of we often enough, very often as well. And kind of organizing firesides um, with like scholars coming in, you know, BYU kind of scholars coming and talking and doing firesides about last year during the Old Testament year. I did like five or six firesides that we organized. I really loved that calling. That was a lot of fun. I don't have anything quite like that now. I'm, I'm part of a, a men's Bible study group. I'm involved in serving in my new church in several ways, but nothing where I'm you know, the one kind of leading teaching, obviously, uh, for a variety of, re- a variety of reasons. Um, I miss that. I also, you know, I, there are the things I like in the LDS. I like that you have members getting up and doing testimonies uh, during kind of the fast testimony meeting I like. I like member-given talks, although I, I, you know, I would not go back to after having been around for now months of like really good preaching, you know, going through the Bible verse by verse each week with a a purpose and, you know, well-crafted message. I I wouldn't go back to the kind of quality of sacrament meeting talks, which I think generally is, you know, medium, mediocre to to sometimes decent, sometimes rarely very good and usually often, you know, not inspiring. So I I wouldn't go back to that uh, at all, but I do miss the, having members have a, a role and, you know, average members of the congregation kind of having that opportunity. So uh, I miss that aspect of it. I, I, I miss, um, I mean, I, I've I still have friendships with people in the ward that I, you know, see and, and socialize with. And so I still see that some, some people, uh, but, you know, miss miss the friendship side that, that are, you know, it's different when you don't see people every week in church. Right. So, you know, people I miss as well. And then um, the, the kind of member service involvement. Um, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of, that's cool. It sounds like you've been able to like maintain those friendships, uh, to a certain degree. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, people, certain people that were, were close to, they were kind of working to, to keep, keep friendships and, uh, you know, and it, it takes work, right? It's not like automatic. You just see them at church every week. Like it takes effort. <laughs> it's harder. Yeah. And even when you're in church, it, when, you know, at least church, it takes effort to like, have it be like more than just like a casual that's true. acquaintance. So yeah, yeah. It, it does take work when it, and um there's a difference in some ways but I, I i think it's important to try to keep those friendships and they're people that i care about a lot you know we've been in, in this this area for five years so we're in the ward for 
four and a half years, the word that we're in, like the local ward. And that's a, that's the longest we've been in. A, I was ever in a ward. I was mm-hmm. moving a lot since I joined the church, um, between my mission and uh, law school, moving moving very often. And uh, so it's the long, longest I've been in one place and one ward for since I joined the church. And so I have a lot of good friends and relationships that I do really care about. Yeah. Um, uh, in Stephen's video, you kind of left a message for atheists and agnostic people that leave the church. And it's like, hey, there's a possibility that you can have a relationship with God. Um, yeah. I just wanted to kind of pick up on that conversation. Um, like, do you, do you believe it's a choice to believe? Or are you just saying, um, like, because I look at it, like, I just kind of believe what I believe. Like, I, I've given, I see what I see. And I understand that I could learn something new that would change my mind. But for the most part, I don't feel like I can just choose to believe yeah. that um jesus was resurrected you know like like i'd i'd uh, yeah so um yeah i don't speak to if you want to this is your chance <laughs> yeah i mean i think what, what, I, what i think i don't think that you can like choose kind of out of the blue like what to believe like you know a, there's a buffet and you kind of choose what you want to eat from it like i don't think it's like that at all i think what what i've seen happen to a lot of people i've seen leave the lds church is that they're they're told from a very young age very very young age this is the true church all the truth is here you know everywhere else is kind of fragmentary there's less goodness in there less truth there um and they're kind of told the message of you know the, the bible's corrupt uh you know the the, the the other churches are abominations like their creeds are abominations yeah, at least you know like what joseph learned from the in the you know in the first vision like their the creeds are abomination those who profess them are kind of um half-hearted or not not fully believing what they believe and that's the message you get from a very young age and you go as a missionary and you know teach the first lesson uh every day and you know, multiple times a day and that's the message you're telling people and so i think it's really natural when you're then you know find out that there's you know, historical problems with the church doctrinal problems with the church to then not even consider um christianity as a possible ability you know never look i mean and i think latter-day saints are not really taught kind of i'd say classic apologetics of christianity so uh, you know, arguments for the, the bible why the bible is, you know, is reliable looking at manuscripts looking at the history of that that's just something i ever thought about or looked at or, or really considered as a latter-day saint and i was very involved in online dialogue i was you know very on, on the you know well-read side of latter-day saints i read you know like everything that the desert book put out i read everything that the church kind of was put published and i read you know, beyond that as well and i never really explored those things like why why is the, the why what is the manuscript evidence for the new testament what makes it re- maybe reliable um you know is the, the the case for the resurrection of jesus that's uh you know, kind of the, there's a gary habermas has a minimal facts approach which you know, looks at what what evidence we can reliably you know secular kind of you know take away miracles and religious uh, knowledge what what can you look at just kind of objective facts that everyone agrees happened um, and what's the best explanation for that and you know concludes that the the resurrection is the best explanation for the facts hmm. um, not in none of that or or this or the kind of philosophical arguments for the existence of god uh, uh, uh why why is god make sense on a philosophical level it just there's all those kind of arguments sure. that i never learned as a latter-day saint never studied never really thought very much about because mm-hmm. all that mattered was my, my testimony kind of answered that you know i know there's a god because i've had experiences so i don't sure. need to spend this time um on kind of classic apologetic approaches and so there's a very shallow foundation that latter-day saints have when they leave the church of reasons to believe in god that don't depend on lds testimony 
Um, and they never explore those. Uh, maybe they might not think to explore them, or once they are, they're already in a very cynical mindset about it. So I, I think that that that's kind of what I have in mind is you should you know look look, look at the evidence, uh, realize that I think you know the, the one one other thing I really would say like the LDS Church, it's very much um, you know your work. You're, you're you're judged based on how you're keeping commandments, based on how you're living a certain certain value, you know, certain worthiness levels, and that's very different than Christianity. This really this idea in Christianity is you're saved uh, by your faith in Jesus. Uh, you keep there are commandments. There is there you know God has set standards for us, but it's it's not uh, earning in any way your salvation. And that's just a very different mentality. It's what did God do for me, for us coming down and, and atoning for our sins um, is the focus, not what do I need to do to, to earn, uh, be worthy to go back to God. And so that kind of way of thinking, like it's a very, Christianity is very different, I think, than any other faith when it's properly understood. It's not about these are the kind of steps we take to become more like God. It's what did God do to come down and rescue us um, when we couldn't rescue, do it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I'd, I'd agree with you there as far as uh, Christianity being different enough that it would it would be wrong to think that you knew what Christianity was as a practicing Latter-day Saint. Like I, just a little bit that I've dipped my toes in. It's like it's definitely a different a different flavor of religion. I mean, I I haven't. Uh, yeah, I haven't dipped in enough to like be able to speak intelligently, super intelligently. But yeah, it is. It is enough different. Like I can tell that when you're reading the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament and you're reading it through the idea of how is the church true, it's way different than just yeah. like reading it as um, the Bible. It's just way different. I, um, I think the I, I, difference. Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say like I, I went I, – I think I got through the Gospels. I was just listening to an audio book of the – I think it was – it was in like English. It was like our English. It wasn't old English. Uh -huh. um, and I, I wasn't super like it, it didn't uh, pull me toward Christianity. I kind of was listening to it and I was like, Oh, this seems like, I don't know. I, it, it didn't, it, it didn't work out. I didn't have some experience like uh, Michael <laughs> Wilder where he was yeah. like, Oh, wow. The, you know, like it was, Kind of the opposite is same thing very similar to like when my brother told me to read the book of mormon as i was kind of leaving the church he was like just uh -huh. promise me you'll read the book of mormon and i went and read the book of mormon i was like i don't think this is doing what you think it should be doing <laughs> you're so, seeing, seeing all the things that you didn't see before yeah, yeah yeah um so but anyway what were you gonna say there oh well on the last thing you said i think i do think that it, it, translations of the of the bible are actually a big big thing because a lot mm -hmm. of letter saints have only read it in the king james and it there's a big difference when you read it in something like you know, like let's say the New Living Translation, which is more of a um, sense translation. Like it's not word for word; it's translating kind of the, the meaning, the idioms of, of the Bible. Like we read something like that, and it just really speaks to you. Or the NIV is a similar kind of experience in, in a way that it, 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 the words relate relate and connect to you in ways that they really can't in the kind of King James more archaic English. Even like really, you know intelligent smart well the people who have a good you know can read really complicated books you know, college you know complicated materials still struggle with with the, the gap of the 
this archaic words and and what they mean and so i i really i think that reading it in a more popular translation is something i'd recommend to anyone who's you know in the church or out of the church like that that's i think a really important thing to really understand what the words the, 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 i also think like the the, the words in the archaic king james have this kind of archaic you know uh, royal stately kind of feel to them they're, they're, they're this kind of archaic poetry but when you read them in more common like modern english there's immediacy and power to them that they don't have in the king james sometimes mm-hmm. like I've been really studying the Paul's letter to the Galatians since I left the church. I'm actually working on a study guide for Latter-day Saints, like kind of a commentary that I've been reading a lot of commentaries and, and putting this together really. Oh, and saw your posts. Eight months. Um, and <laughs> Paul's writing there is so fiery. And you don't always get that in the King James. Like he is, you know, he's, he tells the people, you know, if you're preaching this other gospel, you're, you know, you're going to go to hell very directly. You know, be, be anathema, be, be, be damned. He uh, makes a, a comment later because they were preaching uh, circumcision. He says, you know, I wish, I hope that they will completely go, go all the way and cut them, cut, cut, uh, circumcise themselves all the way. Uh, like very, you know, fiery language, like, uh, you know, he did. And you don't get that always in the King James kind of immediacy and the power of what, what's being taught. Hmm. Um, and I think, well, with the Bible, like going back and, you know, I think seeing it with different, in different eyes, when you read the Bible as a Latter-day Saint, it's often in the lens of either you're reading it one of two ways, either what are all the commandments that God's saying that I have to do? Like, what do I have to do as a result of what I'm reading? Or you look at the examples like, let's say Abraham, or you read about, you know, read about Abraham, and you're like, how, how can I be like him? What, what can I learn about, you know, to be a, be more like him and more faithful? Hmm. And I think that there's, I think Christians read the Bible that way, those ways as well. But there, there's more of a focus when you're reading the Bible on what does it teach about God, about his nature, about his character, about who he is. Mm-hmm. And then there's more of a willingness to read the stories and see imperfect people, flawed people in the Bible. There's not a lot less of a, a pressure to sanitize and say, well, you know, Abraham, you know, like Joseph Smith did this with, with polygamy. Well, Abraham had Hagar as a, you know, as a servant and, and had a, uh, child with her and therefore polygamy must be okay well i think uh you know even very conservative evangelical you know believe very strongly in the bible uh it, protestants will say abraham was was sinning he was relying on his flesh he was not trusting the promises of god you know god said i will give you a child through through sarah and abraham and sarah kind of came up with their own way to try to, to solve the problem mm-hmm. relying on their own selves um and that was a mistake and that you know i've heard that that's a, a not not like a only kind of progressive Christians will say that like very conservative evangelicals who very much believe in the Bible the kind of inerrancy or the the, the integrity of the Bible will will say that uh, and so there's less of a desire need to fit everything of the Bible into a box where everyone everyone as a hero has to be kind of ideal idealized mm-hmm. uh, and we kind of need to be as good as they are you kind of see the flaws more of the people in the Bible and you can see God. God's grace working through these imperfect people. Um, so I find that really powerful. Yeah. Um, so what do you think is driving this growing group of nuns, uh, people that just don't identify with religions? Like, do you see similarities between like Christian deconversion and a Mormon faith crisis? Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. Do you, what, what's driving that? That's uh, a good- Good question. I mean, I think 
part of it is that I think that the Christian churches and I think LDS churches also have done done always a great job of being relevant to the young younger generation. Like really explaining why is this relevant? Why is it worth dedicating your time to? Why is it worth serving and and being a part of this? You know, how is this uh, making a difference in the, this this organization, this church, this institution making a difference in the world for good? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the LDS church and with some of the disclosures about finances, for instance, kind of people now are really wondering, like, there's all this money I'm giving and tithing. Is it making a difference? Is it actually benefiting people or is it kind of going to a, a, a you know, hedge fund uh, to save money for you know, some future uh, end time scenario that you know, may, may never come? Is it is that is there actually um, good that comes from 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 these teachings that are impacting people around me. And I think that the relevance is sometimes lost. That's one, one part of it. Hmm. Um, I think there's a, a skepticism about authority that our kind of the rising kind of generation millennials and onward really have as well. That it makes religious figures not, not seem trustworthy or credible. Um, there's a little bit of a kind of do it yourself mentality, like, you know, finding kind of your own spirituality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, you know, this kind of, individualism called very strong individualism of uh, the, the society that we're, we're in, I think is it, it, religion doesn't always fit with that. I think. Hmm, that's interesting. Cause I, I feel like America in general is pretty individualistic. Like, you know, like you're going to be free to be able to do what you want to do. So it's not a good thing in a religious sense though. You don't think, but maybe it's a good in a political sense. Or I not. think, I mean, I mean, I'm very much a believer in individual rights and and freedoms. You know, protecting individuals' right to believe what they want, to say what they want. Uh, I am a First Amendment, a free speech attorney. So I, as I litigate as a professional, right. like uh, fighting for people' right, right to believe whatever they want uh, or not believe, you know, but whatever they want to believe, whatever they want to say, I, I absolutely 100% protect their right to do so. I think there's more of a lot loss of a sense of there being absolute moral truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that there's kind of a loss of that. And that leads to a lot of uh, immorality being up to every individual to determine for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that isn't good in the long run. I think, I think it can be very corrosive to society in the long run. Right. Like, what do you, what do you think are um, valid criticisms though? Uh, like, I guess, well, I'll ask, do you think there's some valid criticism in that it seems like, religion even though it does provide a standard it does it's like a moving goalpost standard it's not it isn't like i had this conversation um with hayden um and i was just kind of explaining because he he was mad that i don't have like a moral authority for my my morals and i was explaining well i don't feel like it does any good to claim to have one if you don't actually have it like if if you say that you believe that god provides that standard, yeah. but you can't be sure what God wants you to do or how God wants you to interpret the Bible. If that's your standard, then that becomes a moving goalpost um, a little bit. So I, as far as, I don't know, do you feel like that's a valid criticism of like when someone says, well, you need to have a moral authority and a moral standard, but then it's like, well, okay, that's fine. God, tell me what it is in a very clear way that we can all agree. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know that you'll ever get to something everyone agrees on because I think right. there are always people seeing the world differently and and having their own experiences. I I, I do think that um, Christianity does provide a foundation, a common kind of foundation of belief that uh, honestly, like the world we live in is is so influenced by Christianity, by the history of Christianity. Uh, I, I read a, a great 
book recently called The Air That We Breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also read recently the uh, book Dominion, uh, history. it's kind of history of, of uh, Christianity's influence on civilization where all the values we have as a society, the kind of individual rights, uh, you know, caring about individuals, uh, caring about the poor, caring about children and the needy, the destitute, that is so influenced by Christianity and its rise in our society. Some of the enlightenment values that we have really like rationality, um, belief in, in morality and for, you know, some of the ways we see the world are very influenced by Christianity. And that, that's kind of the common thing we all have, even if you're an atheist, you're living in this kind of Christian society that's you know, shaped. I don't mean that in like a religious sense of like, mm-hmm. or a Christian nation. Like, I don't mean that. I mean like the, the values, the underlying structure of society the, the kind of moral structure of what what's good what's bad what we as- aspire towards is so shaped by christianity that you know we, we don't we don't live in a world that doesn't have that and we haven't you know, for thousands of years okay that's i think that's fair but given that it's shaped by that what makes you believe that it needs to stay that way like i think christianity was shaped by probably a lot of uh, greek thought that came before that and then that was from you know each tribal jude like like i don't know like you, you look at the history of humanity and stuff and it seems like you're, you're always building on what you what was passed down to you i guess just because christianity forms our beliefs in our society i don't see why that means that we need to stay still in that spot i don't think we're ever staying still necessarily as a society i, I think i mean the, the values i think we're we're all really grateful for the things that kind of christianity built like the Roman Empire, you know, they would throw children, like babies, in the trash trash heaps, like live mm-hmm. children, live babies that were not wanted, with no kind of regard for them. And the early Christians were actually sending out rescue parties to these trash dumps and, and taking kids and, and taking care of them. And that's part of where the first orphanages started was Christian rescue efforts for babies that were being thrown in, in the trash heap because they weren't regarded as uh, anything you know, sacred or special. And so I think those values that come from Christianity are really like things we don't want to lose. We don't want to get to a point where we're kind of dehumanizing, where we don't value individuals, the kind of idea that inalienable rights, you know, that we all have rights given from our creator or given from from nature that, you know, regardless of who we are, regardless of how smart we are, regardless of if we're disabled or or able, uh, like the, the kind of universality of that, I think that that's one of Christianity's key contributions to the world. Mm-hmm. That we, we don't want, I, I don't want to lose that. I don't think that most of us in, in America or in, in the Western world would want to lose those values. They're very, I think, really important to preventing the slide uh, to, you know, I think fascism, the fascist you know, dictatorships, uh, uh, governments of the, the, the 20th century mm-hmm. went away from that idea of a fundamental inalienable rights that is kind of the, the, the core fruit of Christianity. And so I, I don't want, I think that those are really important values that our society would be much worse off without them. Uh, mm-hmm. We lose, I think, the the regard for individuals, the common humanity that we share, um, and I, I, you know, I, I think that the, there's a danger of losing that when when we slip away from Christianity as the foundation of society. Oh, that's interesting. I guess I wasn't disagreeing that Christianity uh, brought benefit. I was just saying that um, is it possible that Christianity is like, you know, uh, two hundred years from now we're going to look back and be like we're going to have some kind of moment of, oh my gosh, they were throwing babies in garbages. Like, yeah. do, you, do you know what I mean? Like there's something that even Christianity needs to be updated in a certain way. Or no? uh, I think it's always possible that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're society, like people are 
improving on on values and ideas i i don't i don't think that's that's not that's wrong i mean you know example would be i think treatment of women in society is something that for a long time i think the world didn't live up to the what is is the christian ideal i think uh, if you look at the new testament especially women were highly regarded in in the new testament they were preaching they were teaching they were active in missionary work they were financing churches um they were fully engaged um, and then christianity that kind of culturally didn't live up to that for hundreds of years and I think it's, it's great. It's really wonderful that we're living up to those ideals in society. That's an example, I think, of progression where we weren't living up to the ideals that, that Jesus said and that his, his early church said. And now we're kind of living up to those ideas. I think there's going to be other things like that where we're, we're not living up to the ideals. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess I'll ask this. I did kind of want to ask you about like when you were practicing Latter-day Saint, what would you say your confidence level that it was true when you were practicing? Like, I think I had, I had a really, really was very sure. If you had a, if you had to put a yeah. number on it from one to a hundred, what, what was it? Like 95 to a hundred, like really high yeah. level, I'd say, you know, it was very strong in my, you know, based on experiences, mostly like the kind yeah. of spiritual experiences I'd had. So um, in your belief that you're in now, uh, where would you put that confidence level? I think, you know, like there's, uh, I see a lot more now as like, there's like core things that I'm very sure about. And that really is Jesus Christ and you know, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That kind of foundation, I, I would say my beliefs are similarly strong to where they were before. And that just that, that core truth of christianity mm -hmm. i think there's a lot more things now that i'm not like as sure about you know kind of doctrine side doctrines i mean what ha you know for instance what what happens in the end times is there going to be a, a, a millennium like is there a rapture is there a, 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 a what post-tribulation pre-tribulation whatever there's lots of different views in christianity and i don't have strong feelings about those things i kind of have like loose thoughts based on the study I've done that I'm, you know, want to keep studying and keep thinking about. So there's a lot more that I don't you're still kind of a baby Protestant too, right? Like you're still developing <laughs> those ideas. Yeah. Right? But I think also like those are things I'm going to be probably open to in my whole life changing and based on mm -hmm. the evidence I see based on new readings, I think like, so like foundational core, I mean, really what my foundation is, is faith in Christ, salvation through him, you know, justification that like, yeah, I'm justified and made right through Christ alone. Um, that that's where I'm like really confident, you know, as confident as I was as a Latter-day Saint, my, mm -hmm. my you know, testimony of those things, uh, to use the, the lingo that I think, you know, Latter-day Saints use and also Christians use as well, but like this kind of testimony of that like, God has done something amazing in my life, that Christ has saved me, that's really strong, um, as strong as before. A lot of the other things I you know, would have been very, very confident on because I said, you know, the church teaches this, so it must be true. I'm less less confident about, and I'm more comfortable with not not knowing for sure the answers on certain things. That's interesting. Like, I would, so I I would say my confidence level the whole time that I was uh, practicing was not super high. Like, I never felt like I could go up and bear uh, my testimony because I never like knew for sure. Um, and and I'm kind of in the same boat now, where I have that kind of same level of certainty. I'm like, I could still be wrong. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Isn't there any part of you that's kind of like, well, I was really sure then. And I, and I've like, yeah. I'm not believing that same thing. Like, does that make you want to like lower your confidence level of where you're at at all? Or it, I, it definitely it makes me a lot more, you know, like 
willing to say I could be wrong. Like, yeah, I think, yes. I, I, I think that on the kind of foundation of Christ as my savior, that, that, that part of my faith, it's, it is a mix now, I think for me of ex experience, both previous and now of study of thought of research and, and reading. And I think very kind of firm conviction of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll, there's a lot of things I, you know, I, I could be wrong about that. that I, I don't, have a, a absolute certainty of I, I i think that really like what i know is christ that he died and was resurrected that he's my savior those are the kind of core things that i i have a lot of confidence in um, my interview with eric johnson i was trying to ask him like how do you know the bible is the authority so like we grew up as a latter i grew up as a latter-day saint you didn't grow up but you were taught as well that the authority is um through joseph smith right and he restored the authority basically and then yeah. so the authority is in the leadership of the church and they kind of have the last word and i'm assuming you your the last word is the bible right yeah i i think the you know, sola scriptura that concept i think is one that's very misunderstood among okay. non-protestants I, I mean i think what it means is is like you said the, like it's a question of ultimate authority like what's the final say so like if, mm -hmm. if there's a uh, debate and so for protestants i think it, it is the bible that doesn't mean that you can't look at anything outside the bible to kind of understand sure. the bible better to base your life on even like you can um, look at tradition and history you can look at uh, philosophy and arguments uh, but what matters is that the kind of like at the end of the day if something goes against what the bible says the bible win wins out that's kind of what it, what it really stands for is like the, the, the ultimate authority question. Okay. And it, for me, it's, it's, there, there's nothing else that um, I, I believe is, is God, God breathed or God inspired in the same way that the Bible is. Um, there's not, you know, modern leaders, uh, pastors, um, uh, they, they don't have that level of authority that the, of God, God speaking through them in the same way. And so their, their words are not authoritative in the same way. There still can be inspired and good and worth listening sure. to, but they're not not an ultimate authority ultimately. Yeah, I I kind of view the Bible like the Bible's been passed down, written down, and it was just kind of unquestioned up until I think a point, and I think it might have started about the time that Joseph Smith, uh, early eighteen hundreds, yeah. and 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 the, I guess this is kind of how I'm viewing it. Like it seems like once people start to understand like how we got the Bible, how it got from wherever it started to here they start to realize there's these lines like what was included in the bible who decides that and all of that that you kind of have to not only believe that the bible is the word of god but that the people that put it together are inspired like there's mm -hmm. it's um i don't know when you're when you look at i don't know bible scholarship and stuff like that yeah. like i that was another thing that made it hard for me to jump uh into Christianity for me as, as I learned, like I went, um, I learned as a bunch, just like, where did the Bible even come from? Like, did Christ, like, I didn't even realize, like, yeah. I, I think what 30 or 40 years after Christ is maybe the earliest, um, writings. Right. And so like, I, I was, might, might be, well, Paul, Paul's earliest epistles were probably in the 50 and the, late 40 like 49 is possibly when galatians oh, was like written. closer to 50 or 70 50 or something like, would have been, like the one like 
yeah, probably 50 would have been like the Corinthian letter. So 50 is for, for Paul. And then I, I, you know, some early dates would be Mark would have been around the same time and Luke would have been, you know, in that time, some later date people, some people would say later dates in that, of course, yeah. but it was kind of debate, but possibly it could have been as early as late forties, early fifties for some of the books. Right. So as I was looking at that, I was just kind of like, I don't understand how this is, um, that we can be sure this is what Christ said, even, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, so I just, I just wonder, like, ultimately, you said that you, it's kind of evidence based that way you believe, and it's experiential. Like, yeah. there's a combination there, right? It's not. I think, and I think that there's never going to be perfect certainty about the the or every detail of origin i think you know, I, I do think that as i've studied um things like the the reliability of manuscripts you know tra being transmitted kind of the, the amount of early manuscripts the amount of manuscripts you have um the you know, looking at the dead sea scrolls for the old testament in terms of reliability like how accurate the translation has been there the or transmission i mean of the, the the manuscripts so there's there's reason to have confidence that what we have is really um what the original words were and there's also i think good reason to believe that a lot of the New Testament was written by uh, eyewitnesses uh, or people that interviewed eyewitnesses. Like mm -hmm. I think Luke, you know, for instance, wasn't an eyewitness himself. Well, he was a he was probably there in in Acts when there's the we part of Acts where it goes into the we and he was a traveling companion of Paul, so he was there for that. But you know, he wasn't there for Jesus's ministry. But he um, in this very beginning of Luke talks about you know interviewing and talking to those that were there. And the, um, there's good reason, I think, uh, there's a great, uh, a couple books on this, but I, I really liked, um, there's a book called Go The Gospels as Eyewitnesses. Uh, it's by, um, sorry, uh, Richard Bockham, that's good and goes through the, the evidence of like why you can kind of see eyewitness, the, the, the eyewitness nature of the Gospels. Hmm. Um, even, even things like just, you know, that, that really fit the name of the period really well. Like the, the names that are used are very true to the most common names in the area at the time, for instance, like the, there's lots of indications of reliability that this was written by people that were living there you know, for firsthand kind of knew, knew the situation and had taught the, there, there's a lot, a lot of he talks about in this book, you know, from, um, details in the different gospels that kind of complement each other that, you know, not intentionally, but just kind of incidentally complementing each other. Uh, mm -hmm. Details of you know, names that are given that don't have any meaning unless they were people that the, those reading the books would have known or been able to refer to. And yeah. then, otherwise, you know, for us now, the names don't mean anything, but like, for someone reading them, they would have been able to know them. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of indications like that that he, he points out and some other authors have pointed out too that I think give you good reason to believe the reliability of the Gospels as, um, you know, whether you believe they're inerrant or perfect, I think you can get to, a, based on this evidence, a belief that they're reliable witnesses uh, based on eyewitness testimony from people who knew Jesus and were there for these events. Okay. Um, so that's a good foundation. I think that's that's kind of a good foundation. And then again, the time of the resurrection, I think there's the really good scholarship um, from um, Gary Habermas. N.T. Wright has written uh, volumes about the resurrection, really compellingly are laying out the arguments for the resurrection. Um, I, I, I think that that's a good kind of place to start uh, looking at the questions of are are the res is the resurrection the most likely explanation of the evidence we have. And are the gospels reliable? That that doesn't get you all the way to like an, an errant, you know, like God breathed every word. Well, idea. that's kind of that's kind of where that's kind of where I'd want to start is 
it's not even that even if the transmissions were 100% perfect, I'm not sure why I should believe that that is the correct uh the correct book to base god my uh, belief in god does that make sense like yeah so you could prove to me that joseph smith uh that the original um transcripts of the book of mormon really existed and they are accurately transmitted but that doesn't say anything about whether that was actually a a a godly inspired document right like just something is definitely transmitted correctly and definitely that's where i'm like even step one is hard for me to understand like just because you even if you prove that it was someone that claims to be an eyewitness to something that doesn't even tell me anything about how credible that source was of them being an eyewitness so like go to the book of mormon like they're eyewitnesses that they saw the gold plates that yes you know what i mean like it doesn't help me it doesn't help me jump over um a hurdle there that like i i have a hard time understanding uh that i guess i think with the the resurrection in particular um that that's where i mean because if if jesus really rose from the dead um that validates a lot of the claims of christianity i think that's kind of the foundation stone like christianity rests and falls on on the resurrection kind Um, of like even if even if even if let's Let's so, say for argument's sake that like he really was resurrected and he really was um God. Like, how do we know that the people that were writing it down after were inspired by God too? Like they could have just been writing it down wrong. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. It, it, certainly. Like I think I think though, like I think if you kind of get started with a foundation and the foundation the kind of step one is I think the resurrection. And I think the reason to believe, I mean, you know, you mentioned eyewitnesses, I think the resurrection accounts, there's, there's some differences in that uh I think the witnesses there didn't have financial incentive to to support Jesus. They, in fact, were persecuted from day one. If you go to look at mm. the book of Acts, um, most of them, all really, except for John, likely gave up their, you know, died uh, with their tes- for their testimony of Jesus. And Peter, you know, was likely, you know, the tradition is he was crucified upside down, for instance. That, that's, I think, a very early attested tradition based on, on what's in the Gospels as well. Um, they had to give Paul miraculously kind of going from being a persecutor to being a, a follower of Jesus, uh, you have um, a lot of details in the, the the resurrection accounts, like the fact that win- women were the first witnesses, for instance. That wouldn't be something that would be written naturally unless there was there's some truth to that. It would be a very embarrassing fact because women would not have been credible in, in as, as as witnesses in courts. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they they have these details that you know have a really strong verisimilitude of, of accuracy, uh, I think really helps. I, I, but I, I think there's a lot to go to. But it really, you know, if the resurrection really happened. Uh, and Jesus really rose from the dead. Uh, I think it gives a lot of a lot of credibility to what his closest followers wrote, especially those that were eyewitnesses that were firsthand uh, you know, with him and his ministry. Um, and the, I think the, there's good reason to think the Gospels were written, you know, by those who who were there who knew him um, and wrote these accounts. Uh, not that not you know I think 20, 20 years for historical writing in this context was very quick for the standard. Like you know, the, the, something writing 20, 20 years later writing these accounts down. Um, so if, if that's the case, you know, if the dating of Mark and is in, in the 40s or 50s, for instance, that's uh, when most of the witnesses were still alive. You know, anyone who disagreed, who wanted to contradict what was there, could have done, you know, could have done so. There were, there were still uh, people alive who were at these events. And so I think I think that, that does give credence to, to their accounts, ultimately. Um, so there's, there's a lot of um, 
apologetics that answer my question. That's what you're saying. <laughs> well, I'm, and I'm certainly not, per I, I think like, I, I think that there's just kind of a, a, there's a foundation of what is most verifiable. And then you can use that foundation to address areas that are less, which are less, less verifiable and require, you know, more of, of belief um, mm -hmm. in, in the, you know, inspiration of of the Bible, you know that every word you know the kind of inerrancy the idea that every word is inspired requires it's not something you can prove from the text necessarily but i think you can get a foundation for belief in the accuracy and reliability and truthfulness of the word and use you, you can use that as a foundation i mean then, then you can look at like what did how did jesus talk about the, the scriptures for instance the way he talked mm -hmm. about the gospels he always refers to them as god's god said x you know, yeah. read the word. It's a very strong high view of scripture, for instance, and you can kind of take that, you know, look, look in there to see, build a, a, an understanding of scripture, uh, of what is scripture and what is the nature of scripture. Cool. Um, <laughs> was there anything else that you wanted to add before we close this up? Um, yeah. No, I, I I really I admire what you're doing with this your podcast in terms of like wanting to talk to different people who have had different paths out of the church or, or whatever journeys that their lives have taken. Um, I'm I'm grateful for God for the the path He's taken me on. It wasn't something I expected a year ago. I was still uh, faithful, active, fully involved Latter Day Saint, and it's been a really crazy in many ways change, but one that I've really felt. God's hand in it and God blessing me. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Cool. Yeah. I always like people to be able to feel like they're where they're supposed to be. I think that's a good feeling to have. Yeah. Uh, it's not a good feeling to be stuck or to feel like, yeah, you're so that's cool. Uh, I appreciate your time. And yeah. Thanks. Have a great night. Thank good you. Good to talk to you. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Bye.